Word of God to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We're using the same notes as we had last week. And we do have to finish uh, a section and then uh, consider uh, the notes for uh, today. Uh, But they're quite short and simple and maybe a summary of bringing everything together as uh, we conclude. But Acts chapter 2, we'll read these verses and then we'll seek the Lord and open in prayer. (coughs) Acts chapter 2, the verse 41, we're coming to the day of Pentecost. Uh, This is after Peter preached and uh, we find that souls were saved and the church or the New Testament church was established and uh, thrilling words here regarding what happened, the consequences of the day of Pentecost and the Spirit of God outpouring upon uh, the apostles and of course uh, those within the church how they acted how they behaved what they believed and Acts 2 verse 41 the word of God tells us then they that gladly received his word were baptized and the same day there were added to the, unto them about 3,000 souls and they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his precious and infallible word this morning. Let us unite together in prayer and let us seek the Lord. Our eternal God and Father in heaven, we Rejoice in thy goodness and grace toward us. We thank thee for the return of another Sabbath in which to worship thee and meet with thee. We pray thou would bless us and thou would open thy truth to us, not only now but later this morning and this evening as well. And we have a blessed time in the presence of our God. And Father, we pray that thou would be with the boys and girls of the Sunday school. Be with the teachers also, bless them, we pray. May each one know Christ as their Savior. And we pray, Father, thou would remember us here, bless us. We do think of our brother Vern, member Curry also. We pray that thou would be with them, be with our brother, give him that help, that strength, we pray. And we leave him in thy hands. And we know uh, that thou art the one who is in control of all things. And thou art one who gives that sufficient grace father we pray thou would bless us here minister to us help us as we consider these things we pray for christ's sake amen amen last time then we considered several aspects of our denomination what we believe and what can be called our uh, distinctives uh, distinctive beliefs that set us apart in some ways uh, from other denominations and of course set us apart from 
this secular world. And so, and so moving uh, on in that this week, uh, we come to the uh, place of women in the church. And this is something that's covered in uh, the book, the little booklet separated unto the gospel. Uh, but the place of women in the church is a burning question today. Uh, there are those that uh, will uh, question uh, what the place of women is in the church. It's a controversial issue. And it is often stated uh, that uh, to say that women cannot hold office, uh, that a woman cannot be a pastor, is something that denies their equality and demeans them. And therefore requiring an all-male ministry and eldership is portrayed as sexism at its worst. And more and more churches we see today are sweeping away these restrictions on a woman exercising any part of ministry within the church, whether it is preaching or in pastoral roles or government roles within the church. But our denomination takes the biblical position of historic Christianity on this issue, and therefore that is in variance with the modern trend. And of course, when we think of the place of women within the church, I think it is good and important to say and fundamental that women have a very important place within the life of the church. And we can think of families, and we can think of those here who are husbands, and would you uh, deny or counter the statement that I'm going to make that in your family life, uh, your wife is extremely vitally important uh, to that family life? And the answer, of course, is yes. And when we look at the church, every individual, every member, every believer is vital and important, regardless of who they are and regardless of their gender. However, there are roles within the church that we believe are only open to those who are men. And of course, we even restrict that as well. We don't just say all men. Uh, but men of a certain caliber, men of a certain type, men of a certain character. And so not every man is eligible for office within the church. It is limited again to who uh, that man is and his godliness. The New Testament church shows the value of women. They participated in the public prayer meetings of the church. If we uh, turn back to Acts chapter 1, the verse 14... We see the disciples of Christ met. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. So the women of the church were found there praying. And we find again throughout the epistles of Paul that Lydia was one who was important in the work of God. We can think of Aquila, his wife Priscilla. Priscilla, again, a vital person within the work of the Church of Christ. Not an elder, not a pastor, but she had a very important role to play. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 35. Here we have 34 and 35. Here we have... Uh, teaching by the apostle 
Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. And of course, these words are controversial. Uh, there are those who uh, will certainly disagree with them. And there are denominations, entire denominations, that have set these words aside. And uh, we uh, can uh, see that. Uh, certainly back home in Northern Ireland, our mainstream Presbyterian church, we separated from in 1951. Uh, not so long after that, uh, they permitted the ordination of women pastors. And so uh, potentially if you have a funeral or a wedding uh, that is with the Presbyterian church and with someone from your own church, you could be in a position uh, where there is a woman pastor taking part. And that's a difficult position to be in uh, because of what we believe uh, the scriptures teach. There are those who say that in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is contradicting himself. But if we cannot trust an inspired apostle of Christ at this point, how can we trust him in any other statement or doctrine or practice? Paul made no mistake here. Uh, he uh, says that there are times and places, or implies there are times and places uh, that a woman may speak and others in which she may not. And if we turn uh, to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, uh, the verse 12, and of course we'll be coming to this uh, not uh, next week or the week after perhaps, uh, but after that. Verse 12, 1 Timothy 2, But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. And there's the key, as the note says. A woman is not permitted this pastoral or governmental position over men in a New Testament church. And no ministry that places her in authority above any man is open to her. There's no question that a woman may be every bit as spiritual and spiritually gifted as any man. She may be more spiritually minded than some men, but that is not the point. The role of ministry and office within the church is not open because of what God has said. However, there are opportunities within the church for those women to exercise their gifts amongst other women, amongst uh, the children, amongst others who need help, there is a wide range of opportunity to be able to serve the Lord. We, as a denomination, and I think even more so uh, in Northern Ireland, uh, we have had uh, ladies who go through our college. Our college is open in Northern Ireland to uh, women, and they would do a two-year missionary course, not a theological course for the ministry, but a two-year missionary course. Some have taken some of the theological subjects as well, though the theological subjects aren't necessary for that course, but they've had an interest in those subjects. And they've done that course to help serve the Lord in the local church, to help serve the Lord in a wider sphere, to just simply understand the Word of God, but to also go out into our mission works and to serve the Lord. And so we have had a number of missionaries and still have a number of missionaries who uh, are ladies who have went out to serve the Lord. They're not married. Uh, they went out and served the Lord and still serve the Lord. 
on uh, the mission field. Uh, but uh, they're not pastors, they're not elders, uh, they're not deacons, but they play a vital role within the work of God. And so, uh, to really sum this up, uh, this is a position we believe is biblical, and we're just really touching on this. We're not delving too much into what Paul says, especially in 1 Timothy chapter 2. We'll come to that later on, uh, on a Sunday morning in our series. Uh, but to sum up, uh, we believe what the Word of God says. These offices are closed uh, to women, but there is to be a value upon them. And we are to love uh, the women that God has given to the church, and they have a very important and vital role to play, as does everyone within the church. We're not to look down upon them. We're not to use this teaching to uh, be sexist, to trample upon them, and uh, we are to love and value them in the Lord. And so... Uh, we have our position here. Many churches have abandoned that. There are many women preachers, ministries uh, that are focused upon women, uh, women who teach, women who preach. And, well, many of them, there are many issues and problems uh, with things that they believe and things that they say, as is the same case with men also. We'll move on to marriage and divorce the next section in the notes. Uh, we believe that marriage is a divine institution. It is not a social convenience. There are certain, uh, I suppose, benefits in society of marriage. Uh, the benefit of my marriage is that I could become a permanent resident in Canada. That's not why I was married. Uh, but that is a benefit, uh, we could say, in regard to immigration, to uh, social matters. Uh, but marriage is much more than just that. It's not a convenience. That was a benefit. But marriage is much more. It is God's institution. It is God, God's appointment in the uniting of one man and one woman in the flesh. And when we think uh, of the biblical standard, we're married to one partner, one spouse, one man or one woman, and there is the importance of being faithful within that marriage bond as well. Uh, we place as a denomination a uh, big emphasis upon the marriage of one man and one woman. Of course, in society, that has changed. Society has moved away from marriage, firstly. And secondly, society has corrupted marriage. And uh, we can see that with the various agendas uh, today. But the biblical position is one man and one woman and anything else, any other combination, whether it's inside the marriage bond or outside the marriage bond, is sin and is against the commandment of the Lord. And therefore marriages are legally binding before the Lord. But to move on, and we have a number of things in the notes there. Uh, but to move on from that, uh, we uh, find uh, that in regard to mixed marriages, uh, we can sometimes have a believer who marries an unbeliever. And therefore, 
as a denomination, we would conduct marriages for couples where both parties are saved or where both parties are unsaved, using that opportunity to seek to point them to Christ. But we will not knowingly join a believer and an unbeliever in marriage. So if you wanted to be married and you came and said, I want to get married, here's uh, my spouse, the person I want to marry, uh, they're an atheist, and uh, maybe they're a Satanist, whatever you want to say, something is very, very clear that they're not a believer, and you profess Christ, and you want to follow in the Lord's ways, that's the, your profession, well, we can't marry you. We would advise against that because of the great difference that there is there. We are to marry in the Lord, and uh, the marriage bond is extremely important, but also uh, the spiritual relationship uh, between husband and uh, between wife. Uh, we find there are certain sins that betray the marriage bond as well. And uh, at the very end of those notes, it says, the Lord Jesus Christ reiterated this, teaching that divorce on any other ground than fornication is invalid. He bluntly terms any remarriage under such circumstances adultery. And so we believe not only one man, one wife, one in marriage, one man, one woman, but we also believe in the purity of that marriage bond. The husband and the wife are to live together and love each other, and they are not uh, to set their affections on anyone else outside of that marriage bond. And that is the biblical standard and definition of marriage. And that is sin, that is classed as adultery. And the Lord Jesus says that that adultery is not merely the action of adultery, but the thought of adultery and lust as well. And so, as a denomination, we believe in the permanence of marriage. Of course, a divorce can take place under certain circumstances. It should not be the first option. Oh, I don't like my wife's cooking, and therefore, well, I'm going to divorce her. Well, that's not how we should approach that matter at all. Uh, or my husband annoys me in this particular way, and therefore I'm going to divorce him. Divorce should always be the very last option. When we sought the Lord, we sought help. Uh, we've sought the Lord in prayer. We've tried our best to help that marriage bond and to preserve it, uh, then uh, that would be the last and final resort. I've heard individuals who have been of the opinion that marriage is so permanent that therefore if the wife is being used as a soccer ball and kicked around the house and abused constantly because marriage is permanent, she should stay in that situation. And that therefore is not ideal because that's again a breaking of another commandment, thou shalt not kill. And uh, the anger and the danger and the physical, constant physical abuse is not something that should be in any marriage. And therefore, something has to be done uh, regarding that. Uh, but marriage is, in regard to those extreme circumstances, setting them aside, marriage is something that should be permanent. And uh, we should enter into marriage believing that this marriage is permanent, that when we die 70, 80 years of age, that 
you know, our spouse is there by our side. Or the other way around. Something that is permanent. Not, well, I'm going to marry this woman for five or six years, you know, get some benefit out of this in regard to, you know, finances or whatever it might be, and then I'll move on. And I'll find somebody else. And then I'll move on again. Marriage is permanent. Marriage is permanent. Therefore, it's a serious thing to enter into. It's not something we should enter into lightly. And as believers, we should be discerning and we should be careful who we enter into marriage with. Do, does the individual have the same views as we do? Do they believe the same as us? Do they believe in the importance of church attendance, of the importance of living for the Lord, of the importance of serving the Lord? It would be a terrible situation if you're married to someone and Sunday morning comes and they're more excited about staying in bed and sleeping till the afternoon because it's their day off work than going to the house of God. There's obviously a difference of opinion there that is something that is fundamentally wrong within that marriage. There should be a unity when it comes to the things of God. And so we come to... An issue, moving uh, to the next section of the notes, uh, we come to an issue that is very common today, that of those who are divorced within the Church of Christ. And recent years, this has been the situation more and more, and there is divorce for many reasons. The elders of each free Presbyterian church may receive those who are divorced into membership if they are convinced that their present lifestyle is not condemned by Scripture. When received into membership, these brethren and sisters are welcome to participate fully in the life and fellowship of the church and to use their gifts and abilities to advance its ministry. And again, we have there that uh, these individuals, though maybe mistakes have been made and Mistakes may have been made in the past when they were not walking with God, and we understand that. And that's an important aspect, too, because these things can happen before individuals are saved. However, we place then a limit upon office. Those who are divorced or married to someone who is divorced may not be elected to the office of deacon or elder and, of course, pastor as well. In addition to that, no free Presbyterian church may be used for marriage service involving someone who is divorced. Neither may any free Presbyterian minister officiate at such a marriage. This is not to question the legitimacy of the marriage of justly divorced people, but a confession that often elders have only partial or very confusing evidence relating to the cause of a divorce. And if we make a mistake in recognizing a remarriage and allowing parties into membership, it can be rectified. Uh, but that is seen as being different than solemnizing the marriage. And when we come to matters of marriage and divorce and remarriage, and we look at individuals involved, it is a difficult thing. Sometimes, sometimes it is complex. There are opposing views. Uh, each party can accuse the other party of some great sin and blame them and who is right who is right uh, the leaders of the church are not privy to the internal workings within the family home 
So how do they know who is right and who is not? Sometimes it can be clearer. Other times it is not. And of course, uh, there are many godly individuals who have been divorced. And the Church of Christ is to support these people and to love and pray for them. It's a difficult thing. It's a difficult thing. It's something as well uh, that within my family circle I've experienced. So I'm not speaking here uh, as someone who has never been affected by this. I'm speaking here as someone who has been affected by this. And we need uh, to have uh, sympathy. We need to show love and help and support. Uh, but as a church, we do have a position uh, where we do not remarry those who are divorced. We can bring them into membership and recognize that remarriage. As long as uh, we're convinced they are not, their present lifestyle is not condemned by Scripture. And, of course, they cannot hold office. But that does not mean we cannot show love and show the grace of Christ and support as we would do uh, to any believer, regardless of the circumstances uh, within uh, the church of Christ. So that finishes last week's notes. We'll move on to this week's. And uh, coming in to then consider things to undertake to become a member of the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale. We've considered various aspects of uh, the doctrines that we believe, the history of our church. Uh, but what do you undertake then in becoming a member of this congregation? Well, firstly, you testify to personal assurance that your sins have been given through the blood of Christ and of the new birth experience. Uh, when we think of that and you desire to become a member, uh, you would uh, talk to the pastor or the elders. I would be involved uh, in those steps as well, talking uh, to us and showing your interest in becoming a member. Uh, but the very important first step is this, that we know you're, believe, you're a believer. We know that you're saved. And of course, if we've known you for years, uh, then uh, we can be pretty convinced uh, whether you are or whether you're not uh, because of that interaction within the Church of Christ. Uh, but it is good to know how you were received, how you came to Christ. And uh, then number two, you testify of your baptism into the Christian faith on the Trinitarian formula, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Baptism is that step uh, before membership. Uh, we accept into membership those who are baptized. And so you can testify of your baptism or you can be baptized if you have not been baptized uh, before. Uh, then thirdly, give testimony to a comprehension of the divine institution of the church for God's glory and the welfare of souls through the God-appointed means of grace. In other words, you understand what the church is, what the church is about. You understand the means of grace. And we've covered all of these things in past classes. And so you understand the importance of becoming a member and the importance of the church and the importance of worship and the importance of baptism and uh, the Lord's table. Fifthly, you commit to faithful attendance at all Sunday services uh, with exceptions due to age, infirmity, distance, or works of necessity and mercy. And of course, there should be faithful attendance at all Sunday services, morning 
and evening. Those are the main services that we have in this congregation. The morning worship, the evening worship, but there can be exceptions. You could be 99 years of age in a car home. You can't drive anymore. Well, you can still be a member. We understand that you can come week by week to the house of God. And there can be infirmity. You could be sick. You'd have a heavy cold and a headache and the flu. You could have a more serious illness. And of course, we will not expect you to forcibly drag yourself to the house of God when you are sick or infirm. And we understand that distance as well. And this is an interesting one uh, because in, in Northern Ireland, where I come from, normally you drive five or ten minutes to church. There are 60 churches in an area that is relatively small. Um, I think you could fit uh, Northern Ireland uh, into the greater Vancouver area very, very easily. And so if you were to drive 45 minutes to a free Presbyterian church, you probably would have a choice of five or six or seven churches to attend. You would be that close. You'd be driving past them or within uh, a couple of minutes of them. And so there's a great, great selection of churches to go to, but here there is not. And when I ministered in Australia, I noticed this as well, uh, that often uh, we can have those associated with us who live in areas where there is no church. And I've known members of churches who have lived maybe 30 hours drive from their nearest church. And therefore they won't attend all the time. They listen to the services online. It's not ideal, but where they are, there is no witness. There is no witness, and at that point, no possibility of a witness. So uh, that uh, potentially uh, can uh, be an exception, although it is good to attend in person a local congregation and not have membership in a church where you only attend online. Uh, but there can be exceptions uh, regarding that. Each case can be varied and different. And then the works of necessity and mercy. In other words, you could come out of your house, you're, notice your neighbor's house is on fire, he's upstairs with the children, um, he needs help, but you have to be at church. So you don't jump in your car and uh, drive away to church. You go and help. You call uh, the fire service. You do what you can to help your neighbor. You could have a car accident at the side of the road and someone needs help. And therefore, yes, that is an exception. There's one time driving to a church uh, I was down a little country road. It had been windy the night before. And I must have been one of the first people in that road. There's this big, massive tree across the road, not far after a corner. And so I stopped, and I got out, and I moved this branch of a tree. Being very careful, my suit wasn't covered with this damn tree. Uh, but it was right across the road. Someone driving there or driving a little too fast could have easily hit that tree. And so this big, massive branch... Uh, I was able uh, to uh, move it to the side of the road uh, for safety's sake. It took maybe 10 minutes or so to get that done. And I was maybe a couple of minutes late uh, for uh, the prayer meeting before the service. Uh, but from my perspective, it was a work of necessity or mercy helping to keep that road clear. And of course, anytime someone could come and hit, I almost hit that. And so and there are things like that. We can think of the work of a nurse. 
Uh, we could maybe throw a fireman in there or a policeman in there. Uh, we can think of someone who is caring uh, for someone who is sick. I remember the story of C.H. Spurgeon one time, and he was preaching. He noticed this woman in the congregation was falling asleep, and so he pointed uh, out to her and told her to you know, pay attention and to wake up. And she came to him after the service and apologized and said that she was looking after a sick relative all night. Uh, but she still endeavored to come to church. And he was rebuked. And he realized, well, the congregation individuals uh, have all their concerns. And you don't know uh, what is going on in someone's life as they come uh, to uh, the house of God. But works of necessity, caring for family members who were sick, and works of mercy, there's a wide range of those things. Uh, these things should not, uh, should these things can be an exception to our faithful attendance. And so while we say you must faithfully attend, there are within reason exceptions uh, to that. We can think of vacation as well. Uh, we can go on vacation and therefore we're not going uh, to drive 20 hours back to church on the Sunday. But we'll find a local church somewhere uh, to worship in. Number six, commit to regular attendance at the Lord's table. That is important. That is uh, the, one of the means of grace. It's important for God's people to come together and remember the Savior's death till he come. And uh, we receive grace. We examine ourselves as we come to the table. And uh, we've seen the importance of that. And as a member of this congregation, uh, you commit to coming regularly to the Lord's table. Of course, exceptions can apply as we've already considered. Uh, but you desire to come regularly. One of the things I've noticed in many churches, not, not here in Canada, uh, but many churches in other places, uh, before the Lord's table, there's often the closing hymn. And uh, during that time, half or two-thirds of the congregation get up and they leave. Some of those people being professing members and professing Christians who may not be members. And I've often found that very, very strange. If you have children, well... It's not that much longer for them to sit through the Lord's Supper. And it's good for them to see the importance of what we're doing and why we are doing it. And of course, if you're a believer, you should be there as well. Yes, there can be exceptions. Uh, but sometimes those things can be avoidable. We're to commit to regular attendance at the Lord's table. Number seven, we're to commit to attend prayer meetings where possible. And there can be uh, exceptions as well, uh, but the prayer meetings of this congregation are important times. Important times when we come together in the evening and on Wednesdays, specifically on Wednesdays for prayer, and as the members of the church, uh, you should be coming where possible and praying to the Lord and coming to support one another and have that unity in the place of prayer. Uh, we do have uh, those who join with Zoom as well. It's always good to be there in person and Zoom is, in my perspective, something uh, that if you can't be there in person due to circumstances, then it's good to be able to still join in and listen and pray uh, together. Uh, but of course, it's important to be there in person and if that can't be the case, well, Zoom is an option there. And we're very grateful and thankful for those who come in person and those who come in fellowship uh, with us on Zoom 
as well. And so there are two options there regarding our Wednesday night uh, prayer meetings. And number eight, honor the Lord's Day as the Christian Sabbath. We've considered that as well. One whole day out of seven. And Sunday then is a day of public worship. It's a witness for Christ in his church. Again, apart from those exceptions and mainly being works of necessity and mercy. Number nine is financially supporting the work and witness of the church. And the work and witness of the church, it costs it costs money. And we have every year uh, the financial report of the monies that have been brought into the church and where those monies have gone. And there is a considerable expenditure as we seek uh, to witness for the Lord. There's the running of the building. Uh, there is the running of the radio ministry and uh, the payment of sermon audio. It's not free either. And so all these things, we need financial giving uh, to support the work and witness of the church. And as a member, you're committing uh, to doctrine, you're committing to beliefs, you're committing to being over the oversight of elders and committing to support this work. This is my church and uh, this is where I attend. And there are people here that I love. I love the ministry here. And therefore, under God, as God has blessed me, I will do my best to financially support that work and that witness. And number 10 uh, is to testify to the desire for personal separation from the world and for growth in personal holiness. And uh, therefore, we are not to live like the world. We're to live separate from the world. And as a member, we're committing to do that, to stand out for the Lord Jesus Christ. As part of that, number 11, uh, we abstain from recreational drugs and alcoholic beverages, except as prescribed for health reasons. And we understand that. We've considered that uh, last Lord's Day. The booklet separated under the gospel says that our standards are not standards of bondage, but expressions of our liberty, purity, testimony, and community. Because they tell the weakest saint among us that we care enough for him to banish even the possibility of our causing him to stumble. Again, part of that separation, number 12, is abstain from gambling and public dancing. Number 13, as members, ladies, undertake to wear head covering at the worship services, and we considered as something of head covering uh, last week. And therefore, uh, the ladies are uh, to wear a head covering. If you're a member, you're committing uh, to wear a head covering at our services, our worship services. And of course, men are not to wear a head covering. Uh, there can be exceptions for that. If we were to have a service outside and it's minus 30, uh, well, it's good for the ladies. They can wear head covering. Uh, but in those circumstances, it is wise and logical for a man uh, to put uh, a head covering on to keep his head warm. I've been outside uh, in minus 20, minus 30. I don't think that would be the case around here. Uh, but I'm very glad that I had a balaclava. And I'm very glad that I had uh, a hat as well. And so if we're in a service where it's minus 30 outside, uh, I'll have my balaclava and I'll have uh, my warm hat. Uh, but there's common sense regarding that. Uh, here within the worship service, it's warm enough uh, that we don't need to put a head covering on as men. Number 14, uh, we accept the biblical doctrine that a member's final appeal is to church courts, not civil courts. And this is stated on each uh, membership form. So in regard to this, let me illustrate it this way. 
Uh, we have two men in the congregation. Uh, they work in business together. They're members of the church. Uh, one man, through the business deals, has uh, stolen uh, $20,000 off the other man. The other man's not happy. So he's going to take him to court. He's going to sue him for all that he can uh, get regarding what this man has done. But as members of the church, it's an issue between two brethren. Bring it to the church. Bring it to the church. Uh, the final appeal is to uh, the church, of course, in business. Uh, that can start to get very complex. Uh, but if you have issues with another person or one person has slandered you and you're not happy about that and you're going to sue them for defamation of character, well, bring it to the church. Both are members, both are under the authority of the church, and uh, that is something that can go to uh, the church courts. Privileges of membership then. Of course, there's much more we could say on, on some of these matters, but for the sake of time, it's, we're glancing through these. Privileges of membership. You can enjoy the support of the life and ministry of uh, the church. And of course... Uh, there is the pastoral support. Uh, there is uh, the various ministries that we have. I received a phone call the other day from an individual, and they uh, were very much appreciative of me taking the time to talk to them because they, they weren't a member. And, of course, while our priority is to members, uh, there are those who are not members, and we, we still have time for them. We, I told them I have time for everybody, so don't think I'm too busy for you, or I got to prioritize everybody else before I come to you. Come to me, and we're here to help, we're here for you, and so any questions, anything, member or not, uh, we are here. Uh, but uh, those who are members are those who have committed uh, to the life and ministry of the church, and uh, those uh, who uh, very clearly and openly support that work. There's pastoral support then of the eldership and the congregation. You can hold office positions within the church. Uh, firstly, uh, Sunday school teacher, youth worker, other ministries under the guidance of the session. Uh, the men can hold elected office and as a member you can nominate candidates and you can vote at all church elections. And of course uh, the ladies within the congregation uh, they have a vote in elections. There are some churches that don't do that. And uh, maybe I should say as well that there are some churches where uh, the ladies are not permitted to pray publicly. Uh, but in this congregation, this denomination, we believe uh, that uh, the women should pray alongside the men and come together and pray. And of course, we see that in the women who were present in Acts chapter 1 as they prayed with the disciples. And so, as we nominate candidates and vote at all church elections, uh, the ladies of the congregation who are members have a vote in those elections. Men may hold elected office. Then you can appeal to the session for direction or concerns as a member. And as a member, you can have a concern. You could, uh, well, well, look at myself uh, for the illustration. The Lord was dealing with me about Bible college and going into the ministry way back and many years ago. And what do I do about that? Well, I talked to a couple of ministers that I knew and then to officially start 
making that application to college, I had to talk to my elders. I talked to them for advice. Uh, when I spoke to them, uh, they interviewed me, they gave me advice, and they directed me in, you know, how uh, I should behave or my duties as well, and uh, guided me uh, regarding uh, future ministry. And that is, that was their duty. I was a member of the church. I had a concern about the Lord's direction in the future. That was their duty because I was a member. And of course, uh, there are non-members who come with concerns and uh, come asking for direction, and we will endeavor to help them as well. But there is a duty and a responsibility to those who are members. We can appeal to Presbytery number seven if not satisfied with an appeal to the session. So if you have an issue, if you don't like how something is being done within the congregation and you speak to the session about it and you don't get a satisfactory answer, uh, you have a right to appeal uh, to Presbytery. If you have been disciplined over some particular matter and you think the session have acted wrongly, and there's no restitution between the session and yourself, you can appeal uh, to Presbytery. But that is taking a step uh, that uh, certainly uh, is to be the last resort. Uh, we're not to say, well, I don't agree with how the session run the worship services, so I'm going to jump over their head. I'm going to go to Presbytery. No, come and talk. And we can explain the situation. We can explain what we believe. We can explain how things are done. Uh, it is, as it were, that final resort. And again, if you come with a complaint about a brother within the Church of Christ coming to the session, is that final resort because you can't work it out one-on-one -on -one with you and other witnesses. Steps to become a member then. Pray for the Lord's guidance over the first year of attendance. And number two, submit a membership form as a request to become a member. And number three, uh, there is that interview with the ministers and elders. Uh, number four, uh, you receive acceptance of the session at a duly arranged session meeting. And so the session, uh, discuss your application and decide uh, about your membership. And then number five, be publicly received into membership at a Sunday communion service. Uh, we had that uh, just a few weeks ago. And so to do that, you come to the front, we shake your hands, we pray for you, we welcome you in. And uh, that is that public uh, receiving into membership. And then you have your name placed on our church's membership list. It's published annually at uh, the AGM. So it's known that you are a member of this congregation. So if you didn't want to be a member uh, then, and you want to be erased from the membership list, uh, you can uh, give a written request uh, requesting that uh, you do not wish to be a member anymore uh, by letter from the session terminating membership. Uh, which would be a disciplinary process, or by letter of transfer to uh, another church. And so if you decided you were going to move uh, to another Free Presbyterian church, uh, you would uh, then there would be a letter saying that that would be uh, the case. And so uh, that, that brings us uh, to the end of the notes. And we trust that this little glimpse into membership uh, over these past few weeks will be a blessing uh, to you. We'll close in prayer and we'll seek the Lord. Our Father and our God, we pray that thou would bless what we've considered today. Uh, we pray that as uh, the Church of Christ, 
uh, we would be desirous of thee. We think, Father, of Acts chapter 2 and how these souls were saved and entered into the life of the church and entered in with gladness and joy, seeking to be taught, worshiping together, partaking of the Lord's Supper together, uh, believing, praying together. And Father, we pray that uh, we would be a church that is united, a church that has that great bond one with another. And of course, uh, we would be a church uh, that loves and serves thee. Father, we pray that uh, thou would bless us and thou would build thy church that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. We pray thou would bless our worship services uh, today. And may we know thy blessing upon us and may we rejoice in the presence of thy spirit and in the preaching of thy word, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen.